Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to Sean Flores again. He is an OCD advocate. I had him on a few months ago. He was so well-received. Parents really appreciated his vulnerability and his candidness in discussing his OCD journey and how it felt to be a man, to, to be a Black man in the UK having OCD and mental health issues. And he's really helping remove stigma on so many different levels, including some OCD themes that are not often widely discussed as well because people are too embarrassed to discuss them. So he's really breaking down a lot of barriers. And I was happy to invite him back to touch base with him, see how he's doing, and talk about recovery and maintenance. Because a lot of times we think when we look at these OCD advocates, we think they're done. They're done with OCD. You know, they've reached the top of the hill. And really, that's a fallacy because any of us who have mental health struggles know that it's a daily practice and it's a messy progress and there are bumps and there are hills and there are caves and, and dark places that we go to and then we come back up again. And so I do talk to him about his recovery, his advocacy, and how he's doing. Before we dive into all of that, a couple of announcements. I'd like to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy they are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in my show notes as well. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is that I do have a free series going on. I always have to look at when this is coming out because I record these way in advance. So You'll be listening to this on August 1st, ideally, and my series is just about to begin. And so it's a self-care series for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD. It starts on Thursday, August 3rd, 2023, and it goes on for that following week. So it's about a week and a half long, and you can watch the videos on demand. So just sign up, register at atparentingsurvivalseries.com, and then I will email you the videos watch them whenever you want. And if you really want to dive deep in this series, join the Facebook group that I create just for this series. I do this series twice a year, but I create a new Facebook group every time that I do it so that we can have a live discussion. I go in there and I teach a more in-depth class based on the videos and answer your questions related to the videos four times. So there's a lot of interaction and I make it fun. We do Amazon raffles and have all sorts of fun. And it's just a place to connect with other people. I do have a lot of people who take this series every time I do it, or they've taken it multiple times. I do it twice a year. And it's just a great routine to say, you know what, I'm going to focus on my self-care this week and really hone in on how I'm thinking. Because what I do in this series isn't about just relaxing and taking some deep breaths, going for a walk. I mean, those things are really important. But I talk about mindset, your perceptions of your child's anxiety or OCD, your own history and how that interplays with your child's anxiety or OCD, your support system or your lack of support system, how you're approaching your child's issues and 
we go into your health, your mental health, your physical health. And so it's a pretty in-depth view of self-care, not kind of the surface level stuff that we think about sometimes when we hear self-care. So join me. I'd love to get to know you over there at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. So without further ado, let's just jump into my interview with Sean Flores. Well, I want to welcome back Sean Flores to the show. Thank you so much for coming back on. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much, Natasha. It's been an honor to be on for the first time and to have a second appearance is great. I obviously suggested that we should do another conversation because a lot of people reached out to me and they wanted to hear a lot more. And I think that's a very important conversation. So I'm grateful to be in this space and I'm most importantly happy to be with you. Yeah, your first interview got a lot of great traction because I think parents and and teens, young adults want to hear, they want to hear other people's experiences. And you're just very articulate and able to really help people understand the impact that OCD has. And so I thought it would be good for you to come back and we can talk about your experience in recovery, you know, when you're becoming such a vocal person and advocating. And you hear this a lot with OCD advocates in general. They'll they'll talk about their own struggles. It's not like I'm cured. And mm-hmm. so it's this ongoing lifestyle of how do I maintain progress? And we'll just pick it up from there and see how you're doing. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Because you're right that recovery is incredibly different and recovery is not linear. And as I was saying to you earlier, that for a lot of the listeners, obviously I had my OCD breakdown that led to absolute depression, suicide, duality, hopelessness, and desperation and voicelessness. And I rose out of that by saying to myself, I need to go and give something to this world again. I need to work on becoming a better person. And I did that by writing my story. And during that period, I was so passionate, so emboldened to help other people. But at the back end of it, I realized I burnt myself out. I reached a point where I was exhausted. I was tired. And I wasn't getting any sort of financial remuneration from it, which is okay. I don't do what I do for money, but I've realized money is a catalyst to push me forward. So as a result, I've taken on a part-time job in a Lego store. It's not glamorous, but I love Lego. And it's been hard because in many ways, I feel like I've taken so many steps backwards to rebuild my life. And the other day when I was sitting down, just thinking about stuff, I got into rumination. And we know what rumination does, like sitting in that rocking chair, going backward and forward does nothing good. And I'm going to be open and honest with you and the audience because I think this is a really important thing. I'm six grand in debt because um, of my fallout with mental health over the last couple of years. And I just started getting angry. And I think the anger turned to depression, but not depression in the sense of a hopelessness. It was depression in the sense of, I'm so tired, I have to keep picking myself up over and over and over again. And everybody I spoke to, I repeated the same story over and over and over again. So I was reinforce, reinforcing this idea that I'm, it's, it's, I'm going to have to work so hard to get off what I am, which is true. I do. But for the last two days now, I've deleted social media off my phone. I'm taking social media detox. And first of all, scrolling on social media, I think in many ways caught me in comparison. I looked around at people and I felt like, I wasn't having a fair shot at the opportunities that I deserved. I wanted to earn more money. And I felt I was looking at people living happily. And I, I, had to, I caught myself in this trap, in this illusion of social media that, sure, not everything is glit- that glitters is gold. And I just came to a very profound, calm, reassuring understanding. It's time for me to delete social media off my phone. Because getting into that was unhealthy for me. 
And I was angry. Like I, all my friends around me, they know me that I'm quite a happy go lucky person, but I was just down. I woke up thinking about money. I went to sleep thinking about money. I was worried, angry, stressed. I went to work and I was taken out on everything. And over the last couple of days, I've just made a decision that I may not enjoy what I'm doing right now, but I need to do what I need to do to get out of it. And for people to understand that my rebuild is not only mentally, it's physically. I tore my ACL. So I also need to get surgery for that as well. So the year last year was catastrophic in many ways. And as I was saying to you that I'm having to white knuckle my way through this recovery period because it's not just OCD, it's countless other things on top of it. Yeah. And it, it is like a tornado in your world where it, it is a domino effect. It impacts your income. It impacts your, your happiness, your relationships with other people. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it's just great that you had the awareness that social media was also contributing to that. Because I think it takes a lot to have insight outside of yourself to be like, this is not helping my mental health. Like I am comparing myself to other people or I'm getting angry with other people. I'm getting angry at what I'm, the, the facade of social media is definitely not helpful for mental health. And being able to delete that is, or take a, like a detox is, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And the first thing that kicked in for me as soon as I deleted it was FOMO. Right. So, you know, the big fear of missing out straight off the bat, like, wait, what happens if I get an opportunity to speak to somebody I'm, and I'm, you know, then and, and they're not going to be there. So what I've done is I've deleted the apps. I can't scroll on the apps, but I've got my conversation. So if I really need to reply to somebody, I can reply to someone. But going to sleep, for example, and waking up, the first thing I'll do is go on my phone. And when I go on my phone, I'm like, oh, my social media apps aren't here anymore. So amazing. I have n I don't need to go on it. And it's it started to really give me a different relationship with myself. I started looking at a lot of videos on anxiety recovery because I think we obviously know that anxiety is really and truly what fuels OCD. It's the idea that, you know, we need to believe every one of our thoughts. We always need to be in control. And one of the key things I learned from that video was letting go. So I think quite often being in control for me has meant I know what I'm doing, I know what job I'm doing, I know what career I'm going down, but my world was quite literally turned upside down with my OCD diagnosis and with everything that was going on in the last couple of years. And what the video was talking about was quite often in the need for control, we try to hammer the nail. We believe that the nail is going to get further and further into the board. And sometimes you realize that the hammer doesn't do anything anymore. Sometimes when you let go of the hammer, and you surrender to anxiety, you allow anxiety to be there, you realize you may potentially get the nail further. And that's something I'm kind of realizing at the moment that when I wake up early for work, like this morning, I had anxiety. I had intrusive thoughts pop in. I started ruminating and I said, Sean, we've got work. I didn't feel great on the way to work. I was looking around, enjoying my music. Then I started getting into my head a bit. And I was like, Sean, we go back to the present. So having to practice this has been also a big key part in my recovery and maintenance. And my themes, as I said, they jump around. And, and again, I've been watching more videos that speak about themes don't matter. It's, you know, it's all irrelevant. The theme doesn't matter. It's all obsessive compulsive disorder. And yeah. a part of my recovery has also been, I want to get an ADHD, um, an ADHD diagnosis. That's something else I'm potentially seeking. So this journey that I'm on is tough. It is a 
tough journey financially, mentally, emotionally. But I would like to believe on the other side, I'm going to be such a different person. You know, for the last couple of days, I've been just crying and not in a depressive way, but just letting myself feel what I need to feel, you know? And I think it's just such a different relationship with myself, such a different relationship. It's it's part of the evolution, I think, of of moving forward, even though it doesn't feel like it may be in the moment. I think there's a lot of times this like almost toxic positivity of like, I'm cured or I am like, I have overcome my anxiety or OCD or depression. And to have that relationship that says, I have to practice every day, I have to show up every day, like every day is a practice and I'm going to have intrusive thoughts. I'm going to feel depressed. Like this is the dance that I'm going to do with this on a daily basis. And I know I've came to that conclusion too with my social anxiety where initially I'd beat myself up about it when I would feel all those upsetting thoughts would come back and I'd feel, you know, that I'm being judged or criticized. And and it was like, I thought I was cured or like, I'm a fake, you know, I'm like talking about how to overcome this. And here I am with this exact same struggle. But I think it's that realization of those thoughts will be there and those bumps will be there. And I love the way that you were like able to redirect yourself back into the present and say, I'm here, I'm listening to my music, I'm going to my job. I do feel like also some people can get lost in the anger of what they've lost. And there's the there's a risk for that in anything that we get lost in the anger that we can't propel ourselves forward. Yeah, you're right and I've been angry, really angry. I feel in many ways that life has done me disgustingly dirty. I feel aggrieved, I feel like I am owed more, I feel like I need to be given more by this world. And that's one of the hardest things I had to come to terms with. So I'm going to give an example for you. In, in my work meeting, right, they gave me feedback. I felt so sensitive to the feedback, I nearly cried. I'm usually not like that. And that just shows how much of a different person I am since my breakdown. I listened to the feedback and I was arguing. And I'm not saying all the feedback was correct. I'm not saying all the feedback was wrong either. But it hit me. It stung me. I walked down the stairs after, went back onto my shift. And this thought popped into my head, which was, Sean, let go of the sword and shield. Let it go. Let go. Stop fighting everything. And when I realized that, I realized how bad my attitude had been towards work, how bad my attitude had been towards life. And by learning to surrender to myself and be like, Sean, it's okay. You don't need to fight, man. Let it go. You know, there's a great book apparently called Surrendering the Art of Letting Go. I need to read it at some point. So this, this is the space I'm in at the moment. Yeah. But I realized I needed to do that in all of my life. I needed to do it in everything that I've gone through. And I, um, my theme changed to kind of like, as I said, the theme doesn't matter, but to give context to your listeners, it was moral OCD. I've done many things to survive. I've had to take foods. I've struggled in so many ways to survive. And I was sitting down to myself and I was like, I'm a bad person having to do these things to survive. I'm a bad person having to do this. I'm a bad person having to do that. And I was speaking to somebody else about who has OCD. And she said, when in treatment, she said she learned this term called negative specialism, I think is the term, that we extend this idea of, let's say if you came to me, Natasha, and you said, oh, I've had to do this to survive. I'm, I'll, I'll be like, yeah, that's okay. I'm not going to judge you. Do what you've got to do. But for me, I'm holding myself to such a high moral standard that I'm punishing myself, essentially. 
But of recent, as I said, it's been Sean, let go of the sword, let go of the shield. We don't always need to be on the attack. And I, and I think that relates to a lot of my life because I've been in survival. That day when I woke up and I had the intrusive thought that I was gay, my life also dramatically changed. I couldn't stop obsessing. And I'm coming to a very different realization about my life. And for a lot of people, when they contact me, I say to people, I still have the thoughts. The thoughts pop in. As I said, context for the listeners, my themes bounce all around everything. Existential, pedophilia, harm, sexual orientation, moral. They all do the same, but they're all OCD. They don't matter in the grand scheme. So for the listeners that are still struggling and wrestling, if you possibly can, in your maintenance and in your recovery, let go of that sword and let go of the shield. You don't need to fight. Yeah, I think that's powerful because I think that happens a lot. So that expectation of perfection, you know, like I'm not going to have any symptoms, which is not true. We don't get to control the, the thoughts that come. We get to control what we do with those thoughts. That's that's the aspect of treatment. And then the anger that you speak up. I feel like that's a human thing. I mean, I've seen that in all sorts of different conditions and struggles. I mean, even in the grief world, I lost my husband two years ago suddenly, and I was in a lot of grief groups. And even that was interesting to see how people, some people held onto the anger so deeply they could not move on. They were wronged because it's always somebody's fault when someone suddenly dies or it's a perception. And even with my own kids seeing so, so much anger and not being able to let go. And that was the first thing that I did in that journey was it's no one's fault. You know, like this happened and I can sit in the past or I can move on, you know, and I can, you never really fully move on, but I can progress forward like we're supposed to. We have mental health issues. These things happen to us. They they hit our pocketbook. They hit our lives. What's fair and what's not fair, right? It's like mm. we have these albatrosses that we have to hold on to. And, and how do we make meaning of that as we move forward, which is tricky? Yeah. And making meaning is hard. And even when my dad died on Christmas Day when I was six years old, for years, I was angry. Yeah. I was like, what God, how could God do this? What kind of God would do this? You know, and I'm not saying I'd be necessarily believe in God anymore. And I was speaking to somebody else about it. He said to me, in my times that I'm going through now, I need to find an anchor to hold on to. Whether that's a higher power, but the idea of submission to something else can be quite profound and help people move through a lot of anger. And you're right that there's a there's a big grieving process with mental illness that, as you said, our symptoms may come up, they may come down when I'm I've noticed when I'm stressing about something, I get more OCD-like symptoms, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So this is why I'm practicing to learn that when my brain's ruminating and thoughts pop in, the anxious, intrusive thoughts, I go, Sean, we're not engaging with that. Sean, we're not ruminating with that. Maybe I'm going to be in debt forever. Maybe I'm never going to get out of this, but I can know that I can give my best to this world. And that's why I really want to go on to become a therapist at some point. I, I really want to take this lived experience I've got and give it to other people. You know, I think it's so important that there's too many of us out there living with it and having to white knuckle it every single day and not giving ourselves a fair shot at life. And one thing I've learned in my journey currently at this very moment in time, one of my friends said, I can't be angry at people when I'm not telling them what I need. So when I've had to tell my friends, I'm like, bros, like I need, I need some company right now. I need your friendship. I need your companionship. I'm lonely. 
that's also made me realize that I need other humans more than I've ever realized. I don't need to do this alone anymore. I chose to do it alone in the past because it's all I knew, but now I know different. And I think that's a very core component of um, maintenance and recovery, finding out what your needs are and not feeling ashamed for those needs. Yeah. And being aware of them. So having the insight and then being able to vocalize them, which is a skill. And I think that those are the maintenance skills we're talking about is expectation and weeding. I call it weeding, like pulling out those new OCD themes as they're cropping up because they're going to, it's another weed and letting go of the anger, feeling the way you feel. Like, I love the way you said, like, I just cry and like crying is not a bad thing. I think sometimes like, and I know I had been taught not to show my emotions. And I had like, when I was going through my grieving process, like I had to like cry it out, like, oh, uh, it's coming. I need to hide in the closet for a little while. And so accepting those feelings as they come, even anger, it's like what you do with the anger, but accepting, yes, I'm feeling angry and like acknowledging that part of you that's angry and then asking for what you need. I think that's like such a good summary of, of important tools for maintenance that a lot of people think they're one and done. They're like, it's a success story. You know, like I had a breakdown. I realized it was OCD. I got better. I advocated. And now I'm doing TED Talks and I'm great. It doesn't work that way. Life is no, so messy. Not at all. Yeah. Life is messy. And there's even moments where as I'm talking to you, my brain's like, this isn't real. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Like it still pops in. Like, yeah. and you just have to learn to roll with the punches. It's gonna try you in everything. I've I've had days where the anxiety has been non-stop i mean that little that little niggling voice in your head that just it's just running 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 i walk home and i have thought someone's behind me i'm like that's anxiety we're gonna keep walking and maybe someone's gonna hit me on the back of my head and maybe i'm gonna get knocked out there's times when i'm in bed and there's a thought that someone's in the house i'm like maybe there's someone in the house i'm gonna get back to sleep and doing these things have really just helped me to manage my everyday symptoms because obviously I'm not on medication. That's my own personal journey. I'm contemplating potentially maybe going back on medication. I'm looking at doing um, a specific genetic test. I think it's pharma genealogy or um, DNA. It's DNA testing that looks at medication that would work best in alignment with your DNA. It's expensive, but I'm going to probably sacrifice to get it because again, that's my mental health. I've only got one body. And I've only got one mind to live in. But a lot of this journey has ups and downs. And for a long time before, I assumed life was never going to really have all these downs. And I think I was poorly prepared in some ways because I never was able to have these kind of conversations. But the work you're doing and the people that are going to be able to listen to this, I'm praying this helps to get people to realize that your downs don't define you. You can stay down for as long as you can, but there really is only one way and that's up, you know. When I was angry over these last couple of days, I honestly, at that moment at work, when I said, let me put my sword and shield down, I w when I woke up and I went back to work the next day, I said, Sean, we're going to make an effort. Sean, we're going to change our attitude. I'm not going to always be happy. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be exhausted. But I'm going to make an effort. I'm going to try and show up. Because if I keep believing the negative narrative in my head, I'm just going to stay angry and bitter and upset. I'm going to do what I can to move forward. And it's not easy still. I'm not, make, I'm not making it out to be easy. I still struggle a bit, but I'm practicing. I'm practicing it every day until it becomes just habitual. Yeah, it's a daily practice. I think it's a daily practice for your life, but it gets easier, I think, as you sharpen those skills. 
and you're able to separate your thoughts, you know, which is, that's a huge component of progress is to be able to recognize when you're ruminating, when you're having intrusive thoughts and to be able to accept them instead of being like, oh my gosh, this means I'm doing worse or it's going to get really bad again. No, you've got skills and sometimes it's going to be bumpy, which is hard. Yeah. Cause there's days that I can definitely tell my brain will try and latch onto something to give me anxiety. It'll try and latch onto something different. Try to be here, here. Because people forget, I think quite often, that OCD is an anxiety disorder. It's anxiety essentially on steroids. It's the anxiety that fuels it. It's the anxiety that keeps the it keeps adding more wood to the fire, more wood to the fire, more wood to the fire over and over and over again. But at some points, you've got to let the fire keep burning, but the fire will put itself out. We're the ones that have the ability to starve that fire of oxygen. Every time we buy into our anxiety, we add more petrol and we add more fuel to that flame. So that's also something I've also realized as well in this journey. And in some many ways, I'm actually really excited to learn what I'm going to um, find out over these next couple of days. Because as I said, I journal every day. And there's some days where I struggle to write what I'm grateful for. Then there's other days when I, I can't stop listing all the things I'm grateful for and it puts a smile on my face. And I'm, I remind myself that whilst there's triggers, there's also glimmers. Those glimmers are those moments that you hold on to, those good moments. Because for people to understand that we know evolutionarily speaking, our brains are hardwired to be miserable and technically anxious because it's the way we survived for such a long period of time. That's why happiness is really and truly actually a learnt skill. It's a skill and a choice to be happy because being upset and angry and depressed, it's, it's, and I mean this, there's obviously a biological and chemical factor to this, but there's also a part of it that it's a choice in some senses where if you keep believing the same story, you're going to keep producing the same outcomes. You know, depression doesn't just up and leave. As I said, I was going through probably a bit of a depressive episode as a result of my anger and frustration at life. But one thing I learned in negativity is negativity never disappoints you. When you're positive and you're happy and you're trying something, you open yourself up to the root, you open yourself up for potentially being disappointed. And I think a, a lot of us, we it's, it's a struggle for us to manage our expectations, as you said earlier, but also to manage our disappointments as well. Yeah. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers, and um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's 
kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. We can all have similar anxiety or OCD or depression issues, but our perception and the stories that we tell ourselves is is the unique component, I think. Because, I mean, I've seen so many people with the exact same acuity of anxiety or OCD. Um, even in my family, because it's highly genetic, I see lots of family members with, I think, the same acuity level of anxiety or OCD. And the way that we dance with it is is different. And so I think when you when you recognize that, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel completely anxious and I'm gonna have all like I I have anxious thoughts 24-7. Like, and I feel like I've squashed it, but it's, it's a 24 seven narration in my head. If someone was in my head, they'd be like, Whoa, you know, I thought she's a therapist. Cause it, you can't control the thoughts, but it's the conversation I'm having with those thoughts that make me have a more content life, you know, which take practice. And sometimes I can like knock it out of the park. And sometimes I can't same with my kids. I can hear them really struggling and we do really hard things and they do things way out of their comfort zone. And I, I know they're having OCD issues around it, but it's like kind of white knuckling, you know, can we get through this anyway? Or I'm like, yeah, I'm walking down the stairs and I see my skull cracked on the floor. Like that's a daily occurrence. Or I see myself getting stabbed at night. I know someone's in my shower. I mean, these are like daily thoughts. Oh, my kid's drowning in the pool right now, you know, and my daughter's in a car accident. That's why she hasn't called me. Like, and being able to just be like, yep. Okay. Well, it's not happening right now. It's not happening right now. Yeah. I'm doing okay right now. That's that's a muscle that takes a lot of time to build, for sure. It's it's actually really interesting you say that, and I'm smiling. Obviously, we we learn to laugh at the thoughts. We learn to try and be like, yeah, cool, whatever. If it happens, it happens. I was on the bus on the way home, and then this image slash thought popped into my head of um the bus driving past me, and my knee getting caught by the bus, so my whole leg would have ripped off. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh. Cool. Let me get back to doing what I was doing. That's the point where you kind of get to with it all, you know. I, I've learned that I really have to stop avoiding things. And I think for your kids as well, and probably for yourself, you learn to go towards the things that truly scare you the most. I I'm terrified of heights and um it's a fear I still want to conquer to some degree. So I went on this zip line. I was proverbially defecating bricks, right? I was terrified absolutely petrified and when the guy was going to tell us to um to well push us off i was like wait wait hold up please i said please i'm gonna pass out 
I said, just wait, hold up, hold up. So eventually I said to him, you need to take this out of my hands because if I sit here, I'm going to keep psyching myself out. So he pushes us, right? And I think I had a panic attack midair. And then when I opened up my eyes again, I was like, oh, oh, I'm alive. I was like, oh, I'm okay. And I started to enjoy it. So what I did in a sickening fashion as I went back up, I did the zip line backwards this time. That actually scared me more than the first time. And again, I had to say to him, boss, I'm going to pass out. And he said, yeah, shut up, whatever. I pushed us and I was terrified. But my point is essentially, I'm trying to do these things now that scare me. If it doesn't scare me, I don't want it anymore. I'm not saying, obviously within an ERP lifestyle, you have to manage your tolerance and you know deal with what you can cope with. But I'm trying to walk towards those things that scare me the most because I know that's where I'm going to learn the most. From a lot of us that live with anxiety disorders, such as OCD and whatever else, that lifestyle is going to be the key to you getting back those days that you've lost before. And I often say to people, a day spent avoiding is a day taken away from your future with anxiety. You can get those days back and your future is what really and truly does matter. Yeah, I like that. It's so true. And I I think that that is the key is really having a lifestyle where you can recognize that it's your anxiety or CD holding you back, you know, and then you walk towards that and teaching our kids to do that too, so that they do things, not that you're pushing them off a cliff. I mean, I always say to my son, because I think he's the most acute right now, you know, I'll say, you don't have to do this, but your OCD will win. And that's okay. That's your, your, he's terrified of heights too. And so we went to the grand, we're in Arizona. So we went to the grand Canyon, which is yeah, number one issue. And he couldn't even like get out of the car, like walk on the path that is like half a mile away from the edge. And he got to the point where there was a store that is, it's called, I think it's called angels cliff or angels, but I don't know, but it's right. The store even just to go in it, you're like on a cliff and then you have to kind of walk up this narrow thing and he didn't want to go in it. And I was like, you don't have to, I'm not going to force you to do this. I was having him do some ERP where he'd walk on the outside of me towards the the cliff, which was like half a mile away, you know, very like minor and he'd earn points and he can like trade it in for vote blocks or whatever. But yeah. uh, later it was like, we're going to go into the store and you do not have to come in, you know, like no pressure, but you could sit on this bench, but it's, we want to walk in here and it's as a family, we're not going to be held back because of squishy is what we call his OCD. So we walked in and a few minutes later, he was right behind us. You know, he's like, I just don't want to give in to squishy. I don't want to give in to my OCD. And fast forward a year later, maybe two years later, my uncle comes to town who's 80 and on his bucket list is to, he's terrified of heights. Ironically, it's genetic. And he, well, actually my uncle's not biologically related to me. So what it's just, it's just everywhere. And he wanted Maybe to. It's environmental. It's Who knows? Environmental. We're everywhere. But he wanted to take a helicopter ride over the Grand Canyon, which would be scary for anybody. Oh <laughs> God! I think, see the fort alone. I'm just like, oh, right, Christ. I know. And eventually, I told my son, I was like, "You do not have to go. I'm not going to force you to go. It's my uncle's, like, you know, bucket list. He's 80. I'm going to take him, even though he's really anxious. You could stay in the waiting room. Like you're 12. He might have been 13 still. And he went on. He's been doing some really crazy things. I mean, I turned to him, I took a picture of him. He looks really pale and not happy, but you know, he's getting over stuff, you know, and learning to walk. And he had a good time and it was beautiful. I mean, I was nervous myself. It's not, I think it's normal to be nervous, but I like what you said. Like you went back on the zip line. You went once and you actually made it harder, turned around and did it again. And that 
that rewires your brain. It rewires your brain to say, you're having a false alarm, but you can do this. I don't think you have to do yeah. everything. It, it's really funny you say that because there was also a giant swing. So it's apparently it's like one of the biggest swings in Europe, if I remember correctly. And all four of us, my friends and I, were all sitting in this swing. And it's, it's open, but it's huge. So my friend to my left starts panicking. And I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. She starts panicking as it's going up. So they get take her out. And then as it starts going up, I think psychologically it got to me. And I started panicking. I was getting ready to start swinging hands to get me out. And I was like, I can't do this right now. And I realized I was okay with that because I realized I conquered my zip line. So I'm going to try and go back another day and conquer this giant swing. But I know for this giant swing, right, even the thought alone is terrifying me. I'm going to have to close my eyes. And then as it goes down, maybe then I can, you know, do whatever. But th there's times I've had anxiety so high. My legs have got weak. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And very similar to what your son did, he doesn't want to allow OCD to win. Doing those small things are the small wins that add up incrementally in the battle against OCD. Yeah. So I massively support what you do in the sense of those gentle, gradual exposures. Not everything has got to be get up and do this straight away. And, my, and the therapist I had, Emma, she was like that with me. She... I said to Emma, I don't want to go outside. I said, I don't want to. I said, please, I do not want to go outside. She said, Sean, I know it's hard for you right now. If you need, I'll call you the whole way there. You can pick up the antidepressants and you can come back home. And there were some days that's all I could do. There were some days all I could do was get on the bus to football and come back from football. Then I tore my ACL. So then obviously that was, that was out of the way. But it was those small wins. And I'm working now. Like I'm working a job still with OCD intrusive thoughts. I'm working a job still with anxiety. It's there, but it does not dictate my life anymore because I have an answer now. And I think what's really important, and I'm sure you've realized this, is it's, it's willful tolerance. It's the ability to tolerate that anxiety, you know? But I know it's very different for everybody. And this, I think this has just been a podcast. I think it's just really needed. We can't pretend that every day is, it, it glitters because not every day is, it glitters, you know? Some days it rains and sometimes when it rains, it generally does pour. Yeah. And that's the reality. And when you, when you, when you get that and you accept it, it doesn't compound with, a, oh my gosh, now I'm a failure. Because it's the compounding to me that, that makes it that much worse. It's like, yes, this is objectively here. But now I'm going to beat myself up about the fact that this is here, which is the extra part you don't need. Absolutely. And I'm going to try and use this time in my life that I'm spending with myself to just read a lot more. Like I've, I read quite a lot in general, but I think I want to read not self-help in this conventional sense, but I want to read Mark Ronson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... That yeah. is my favorite book. I didn't like it. Apparently it's really good. That was a huge, that was a huge shift for me. Mm. I don't, I didn't, I didn't like his second book, to be honest. I didn't get through it. But the first one was, and it was really only like one or two sentences in that entire book that altered the way I view life. So I would definitely recommend that. I, I talk about that book on my podcast all the time. I was in line at the airport and I saw a guy reading it. And I just want to take a picture and be like, that's the best book ever. Because it's not about not giving a f It's about choosing what you give a f about, which I think yeah. is like, 
And so every day I ask myself, I'll get upset about something really petty online work or whatever. And I'll think, or something else that's minor, someone cut me off. And I'll think, do I really want to spend my energy caring about this particular thing? And he like, he really outlines it really well. Like life is a series of problems and we get to choose because that's just a given. Like everybody has their series of problems. We get to choose which ones we want, which ones we're going to make a problem. So yeah, read that one. That one's so good. I'm definitely going to be doing that. And I'm actually really happy you said that because I know it's a big bestseller. I know there's a documentary on Netflix and there's just a lot I need to read. I want to read Brain Lock. Brain Lock is Brain... also another good one by Schwartz. I forgot his first name because I have no memory. Yeah, apparently it's um, a really important book for people with, with OCD to read. There's also a book I read that I could recommend to people, which is, let me see if I find it. I need to remember the exact name. I don't want to give people the wrong book. It's called Rewire Your OCD Brain, Powerful Neuroscience-Based Skills to Break Free from Obsessive Thoughts and Fears. That was also a book I read. Who wrote that one? Um, Let me just find that. It was... Similar to Brain Lock. It was by Catherine M. Pittman. Okay. I haven't read that one. Yeah. So she she also wrote Rewire Your Anxious Brain. Okay. How to use neuroscience to end the fear of panic, anxiety, and worry. Because we know, obviously, what's really exciting about the current advancements in science is there's a lot of neuroscience now being applied to psychology, which is actually also really helping people. And as we're studying more and more about the brain, we're understanding it. And we obviously had more recent research come out about OCD that it shows there's too high glutamate and not enough GABA, which is, I think, the calming, I might be wrong. For the neuroscientists out there who want to blast me, <laughs> GABA is the neurotransmitter that calms us, essentially. So we're living in an exciting time. I know it may not feel like that for a lot of people because we're living in our heads every single day quite often. But we're going to live in a time where I strongly believe OCD may potentially no longer be present. And I believe with the advancement in psychology and neuroscience and both of those combined, we're going to see a big difference to OCD and its effects that it has on people's lives. Yeah, the research is starting to finally pick up. And I think that I always feel like OCD is a neurological disorder. It's a physiological medical issue. That's my opinion on it. And I feel like we're getting closer to some suspicious activity. And I think it's different for each person. I think there's lots of things that are causing OCD. You know, there's inflammation, there's a lot of the neurotransmitters that are being implicated. And so, Yeah. Brain lock is a great one because they talk about neuroplasticity, which I really, that is uplifting to me, the idea that there's neuroplasticity. And so when I am, you know, doing something that I don't want to do, or my son is not listening to his OCD, like the idea that those neural pathways are not being hardwired anymore is, is a, it's an uplifting thought that's less than just like fluff. You know, it's like, no, there's science here that's saying I can rewire my brain. And so yeah, Brain Lock is a very uplifting book because of that. And any book on neuroplasticity is really helpful too. So I do agree. I think that we are coming along and we're going to know more about the science and, and how to target these things. And in the interim, I do feel like, I don't know, I have a, like a spiritual view on, we all have our albatrosses. You know, we all have like these life paths and you can get stuck on the fact that we have this life path and be like, what? Like, why me? You know, why does your dad have to die when you're six? It's sad. And then you have OCD and And I could look at that too. Like my dad was bipolar and suicidal my whole life. And, 
you know, it's like, and then my husband dies and then my kids all have anxiety. You know, see, we can all look at these things and be like, what? But it's what we do with this journey in this crazy life that, that really matters. And sometimes we don't know where it's taking us when we're in the middle of a ride, you know, and it takes some time to be like, oh my gosh, I get now how this journey is taking me somewhere else. But when you're in transit, you're like, I do not like this and I do not get this. And it feels unfair. And so I know I've kind of come to the other side where I can look back now and just be like, I'm so accepting of like whatever happens and my brain and my kids' brains and you're doing magical things and you are taking your pain already and you were propelling it outward to help other people, even in the early days of your recovery, which it can totally burn you out, by the way. <laughs> you know, you were hitting it hard and I was like, who's going to burn out? But it says something good about you and you're young. And so there's such a long journey ahead of you that that all of this will propel you and, and create that resiliency that I think you have. Yeah, no, I, I really do hope so. And I have learned that I burnt myself out in the, in the pursuit of really wanting to help other people and to serve the people out there that I think really needed it. I tired myself out and I, I look back and I don't regret any of it, but now I'm really being a bit more intentional with what I do. Not to say I wasn't intentional before, but intentional with realizing I don't need to do everything in a day. I yeah. can slow down and I can still get to where I need to get to. And people are still going to get the help that they need. But I also have to take care of me at that very same time in the very same breath. Absolutely. That's and, number one priority. And I was going to say neuroplasticity is really exciting. When I read that book, Neuro, about rewiring your OCD brain, and I learned about neuroplasticity, that also gave me massive hope. The fact that I, my, I, I'm not going to be stuck with this brain forever. This brain will still try to fire certain signals because they fired before, but meditation, journaling, all these behaviors, exercise, exposures, they are literally reshaping your brain as you speak right now. Getting triggered and sitting through that triggering, rewiring, reshaping your brain to handle anxiety the next time for it to come back and be like, oh gosh, we like guys, guys in the brain, we're going to have to change up something. This guy's, this guy's not working right now. We're going to have to give him a, we're going to have to give him a new OCD thought. constantly. You're changing it. And that's what really, I hope for people listening, gives them hope. And for the parents who they, they're seeing the pain that OCD has brought them, brought their children, may that also give you hope. And for the children that potentially are also listening, your life will change. You're going to have many years to change and to reshape your brain. And you do not plant a seed overnight and expect it to grow in the morning. That's not how this works. This really does take time. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming back on. I feel like even though you're having a rough few days, I feel like you're always hopeful and you always have a hopeful message, which I appreciate. No, how definitely. Can people reach you? I know you're kind of on hiatus. Is yeah, there... so my, my my DMs are still open. I just, I can't scroll on. I'm choosing to intentionally not scroll on social media at the moment. So my social media apps are deleted off my phone, but I do have access to my Facebook Messenger and my Instagram Messenger. Okay. So those are the two things people can still reach me on at, at Deshaun Flores. I've still got my emails there. But I'm, I'll still reply to people, um, but I'm still, I'm taking the time to really work on me at the moment. And yeah. I still want people to reach out. I'm more than happy to help people as best as I can. But I just want people to know that in this, in this recovery journey, I'm going through not a down, 
but almost like a, as I said, a white knuckle period. And I'm going to work to getting back up and out with everything. And yeah, I tried to be as hopeful as possible because as I said, being miserable is predictable. Being hopeful, I can almost sit with those highs and I can sit with the lows and be like, I'm going to get back there again. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So I hope that you found more of his story interesting and real, right? Because I think sometimes we just want a happy ending and we don't realize or we don't want to realize that that those struggles continue, but they also, the story doesn't end, right? We have many chapters and the book doesn't end until we do. And I like his honesty. And I think that honesty really helps paint a realistic picture of OCD. And even when he's struggling, I feel like he has so much hope to offer. I did ask him after we stopped recording, I asked him if he had a GoFundMe page because after we stopped recording, I was talking to him more and OCD has really wreaked havoc in his life. He's a very astute, articulate person, highly intelligent, beautiful writer. I've read some of his stuff. He's written a lot and they really hit the pavement hard when he started to do OCD advocacy. And even before then, he was doing TED Talks on different topics. You know, he's just a natural advocate, but OCD has been destructive in his life. And it does, it does that to people. It creates this path of destruction. You know, he had a really up and coming modeling career. I don't know the depth of his modeling career, but he was a model and he is a really great writer. And those things I'm sure get derailed when you have mental health issues. He talked about that in my first episode with him where, you know, being a model and he had has having intrusive thoughts about, you know, other men being attracted to him. OCD will hook onto anything. And so he's trying to pick up the pieces, which sound really hard for him. I can't remember what he talked about in the podcast versus with me when I wasn't recording, because to me, it's all just one big conversation. But he has to get surgery because he injured his knee and he has therapy, but therapy is expensive and just all these things. And trying to claw your way out of a hole that OCD dug you into, it's like you don't have that advantage that other people have to start fresh. He's starting two steps back. And he's not one to ask for help. And so I asked him if he had a GoFundMe page, which he did not. And I said, Do you, would it be okay? Would it be embarrassing if I created one for you? Because I see all these people who give, 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 and they're uncomfortable getting, or they would never ask to get, to receive the help. And I get that because when my husband died two years ago, it was so uncomfortable for me to be on the receiving end of anything. And I found very quickly that I like to give but I feel uncomfortable getting, which is weird, you know, and it's like the helpers need helping and the givers need to be given. (laughs) I don't know that it wasn't very smooth, but so I did, as soon as I got off with him, I went on my iPad and I created a GoFundMe account for him. And I'm wondering if you could help me support him to show him that he is a light in this world, that we can give him that extra lift to get him out of debt, help him with bills and his surgery and jumpstarting his career. He wants to eventually be a therapist. And if he can just get out of that hole that OCD dug him into, he can ha- he can flourish and be the light that he is meant to be. And so anything that you can donate to him is a light to him. It is letting him know. It's like an acknowledgement that there are people that value you, that support you, and that think that what you're doing is amazing and that you are not alone. And anytime we can do that for any human being, 
It's a miracle. It's a gift. I, I, I like to go on to GoFundMe and just find things like that to support. But when I know the person and I know their passion, it's even more, it's more valuable. So I did create a GoFundMe page. I will leave a link in the show notes, but I did create a short link just so that it's easy to find because a lot of you are listening to this in your car or you're doing the laundry or you're busy and you're not going to write this down. So I did something so that you can remember it. Just go to natashadaniels.com slash give back. Yes. I just had to double check that because sometimes I make these shortened links and then they're wrong. Natashadaniels.com slash give back, all lowercase give back. And anything you can donate will help convey that message to him that he is loved and valued and that we want everybody to get a fresh start. And, and it's not, we don't want OCD to, to tear people down. So love that we can all support him in any way that we can. And it would be nice to have him back on the show periodically and see how he's doing. So I hope that you are enjoying the podcast in general. Don't forget to leave a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher just to show your support for the show. If you have a few extra seconds, leaving a review is always greatly appreciated. I normally show my gratitude by reading one, but I have been batching podcast episodes. And so I read the last one in my last episode, which I recorded two minutes ago. (laughs) It wasn't two minutes ago. It was like four hours ago. So maybe if you leave a review, I'll be reading yours next time. And if you donate to Sean, maybe I'll do a little shout out and talk about how I appreciate those that are showing up for those people that show up for us and our kids, right? Because that's what it's all about. There's people out there that are brave, that are showing up for our kids when they see another man talking about OCD and mental health, or they hear someone talking about harm OCD or moral OCD or those taboo topics like pedophilia OCD or sexual orientation OCD, that normalizes it for the rest of the world and our kids when they are black. And that matches how I look. That might resonate with me because we need to have that diversification in the voices of OCD. And when people do that, they're brave. It's so important for us to honor them in any way we can. And this is a very simple, concrete way to honor him back. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.